Guess what? 2020 is almost over. That's right. This remarkable, confusing, crazy, chaotic year is almost behind us. But first, we have some holidays to celebrate. Retailers look forward to the holidays every year. It's when they make a lot of their money. But this year, they need a strong performance more than ever to make up for months of bruising losses. The winners and the losers of this holiday season might come down to who sells what and how well they sell it. From shopping to buying and shipping, how is technology helping salvage the 2020 holiday season? That's what we're going to talk about today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Michal Avram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. So, Brian, what kind of a holiday shopper are you? Do you wait until the last minute? Do you go online? Do you glamorously stroll down Fifth Avenue, swinging three to four shopping bags in each hand? Oh, I finished all my holiday shopping back in June. I'm working on 2022 right now. That's not true. (laughs) I'm a tactical last-minute shopper. What about you? I'm not much of a holiday shopper, period, because I didn't grow up with Christmas, and for Hanukkah, we never got gifts. So it's just, it hasn't been a tradition for for me or my family up until the last um, really couple of years. And now I'm like all in. You're making up for lost lost time now. That's right. But I I would say, you know, definitely uh, during the pandemic, I have been almost exclusively shopping online, and I'm enjoying it. So I'm definitely not the only one who's opting for online shopping. Hundreds of millions of Americans are navigating the holiday shopping season during this pandemic, and we're seeing some pretty interesting trends emerging. That's right, Michal. And our colleague Phil Waba went to check out stores himself on Black Friday. Black Friday 2020 has already been nicknamed Blank Friday because there were practically tumbleweeds in shopping malls. But even though in-store shopping is down, it looks like retail sales overall are going to have a strong finish. The National Retail Federation, for instance, is estimating that holiday sales are going to be up 3.6% to 5.2% over last year in spite of the pandemic. Phil says that a lot of the retailers who are staying afloat right now either happen to be in a category that's doing well or they've made really smart investments in technology and new types of services over the past couple of years that are paying off or both. 2020 might as well have been 2023 because we got to the levels of e-commerce as a percentage of total sales uh, three or four years early. What you're seeing is companies like Target and Best Buy and Walmart, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods that had really invested in curbside pickup. It's really been a boon for them. Um, Other companies that don't have that infrastructure uh, are probably uh, going to really regret it when their numbers come in. What we've also seen, one of the big takeaways is that retailers this year really wanted to get people shopping early. They, they're they tired of that lumpiness of relying on that five-day Thanksgiving to, Black Fr- uh, to Cyber Monday weekend. It's more important this year because they all cut inventories when the pandemic broke because they weren't sure what they'd be able to sell. So they're like, just get people to shop earlier in October, November. Turn Black Friday into a dud, it doesn't matter. My 12-year-old doesn't do any shopping of his own. He just relies on things to magically appear. But just watching TV, you know, he was like, wow, they've really turned Black Friday into kind of like Black Friday month. They want you to shop all month. And I, you know, can't argue with him. 
Okay, so on, on that note, actually, uh, who are the who are the winners and who are the losers? You touched on this a little bit, but like, who's really well positioned coming out of this? I don't want to just pick on retailers, uh, but some of them are just in the wrong category. Apparel sales are way down, unless you're Lululemon or Athleta. Look at Gap Inc. They own Old Navy on fire. Like it's inexpensive, which works with uh, people's means right now, and it's fun stuff. Banana Republic uh, is is a disaster with sales down 40% or something like that last quarter because nobody needs their stuff for work. So you're seeing a continuation of that, but where you're seeing things boom is the home. Like Lowe's is selling exercise bikes. So everything is centered on the home. So you have those kinds of retailers doing well. You have uh, Williams-Sonoma. You have Bed Bath & Beyond. You have Home Goods. Home Goods is out of control. Uh, you know, they're part of the company that owns TJ Maxx as well. TJ Maxx sales are, are very weak, but Home Goods is through the roof. Uh, and electronics. And that explains to you why Best Buy is doing great. Target is having a, uh, a great holiday season because they sell a lot of electronics. So... It's also category-driven and not just uh, e-commerce-driven. Lowe's in Brooklyn was buzzing a few weeks when I went, but the faucet that they said they had on the shelf uh, online was not there. So I have a little bit of a grudge. Lowe's, if you're listening, Brian O'Keefe is very upset with you. <laughs> I, made a sp- I made a special trip. So, you know, but it's, it's uh, all kidding aside, it's, it's just going to deepen a wedge uh, between the performers and the non-performers. Well, f- Phil... Um, you mentioned the curbside pickup is a big capacity that a lot of these retailers need to have at this point. What are some other innovations that we're seeing, you know, technology-driven innovations in particular that the winners are implementing that are boosting their sales and their, you know, battle to stay relevant in a Amazon world? It's been interesting to see companies like Signet Jewelers. They own Zales and they own uh, K. Every kiss starts with a K. Um, And uh, what they started to do when their stores were shut for six to eight weeks in the spring is they started virtual selling, which is basically uh, an appointment via iPad with the salesperson at, at the store that you like. And you tell them, okay, I'm looking for a ring that's made of white gold, this carrot, this. They've actually been able to uh, serve uh, more clients than they thought. So I'm curious, Phil, um, you're describing how these retailers are innovating to meet customers where they are, you know, and, and that's a lot of kind of logistical thinking. But then there's like really the nuts and bolts logistics. And even if um, all the traditional retailers are ramping up their e-commerce capacity, there's just delivering all these packages to, you know, and it, it seems like we're running up against capacity in terms of delivering packages and delivering them on time, even with the incredible, you know, customer service we have from Amazon, UPS, FedEx, all the players involved. So how is that impacting, you know, the shopping season right now? Well, that really explains what we were saying before about the early deals. It's it's not just about certainty for inventory, but it's also uh, they've been told by UPS and FedEx, uh, we're not we're not going to be shipping 25 billion packages for you on December 22nd. Get your shoppers to start earlier. And that's also why you have, when we're talking before about winners and losers, uh, curbside pickup is a way for you to order something on December 21st and not worry about not getting it in time for for Christmas. So uh, retailers have really been redoubling their efforts to, to get people to come to the store, not necessarily into the store, but to the store to pick it up. 
uh, and then be on their way because they really don't want, um, you know, if, if you order something and it comes late, it leaves a very bad taste uh, in the customer's mouth because, you know, who, who wants to say to a loved one on Christmas morning, oh, don't worry, it's coming on December 27th, you know, according to the tracking I'm seeing. So, Brian, what did you think about what Phil said? I mean, would you ever buy a shirt after FaceTiming with someone who's showing it to you? I would like to say no, but um, we've experienced a lot. Des- desperate times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all doing a lot of things differently than we imagined. And I think the bigger point is that these changes in e-commerce are here to stay and the habits that we're forming embracing e-commerce are here to stay. comes to online shopping, it feels like there's one 800-pound gorilla, or maybe it's like a 8-million-pound gorilla, and that is Amazon. But there's another company that's enabling billions of dollars in sales from retailers all over the world, and you may not have heard of them before, even though they've been around since 2006, and they're growing really fast. Yeah, they're definitely not new, but this is really a moment for them. Um, Shopify isn't a household name like Amazon, but if you shop online, there's a good chance you use Shopify and you just don't know it. Some people have referred to Shopify as the anti-Amazon. Well, what does that mean exactly? What makes an e-commerce platform the anti-Amazon other than just not being Amazon? Yeah, well, actually, I think Shopify rejects that. They don't like that narrative because they don't want to be directly compared to Amazon. They think it's a big world for retail. But what it means really is that Amazon is a customer-facing e-commerce platform, right? Like, you know you're shopping on Amazon. There's all these uh, third parties that sell their goods on Amazon, but you're going to Amazon to do your sales. Shopify operates behind the scenes. They enable retail sales for all kinds of businesses, big and small. I spoke with Lauren Paddleford, who's Shopify's vice president and general manager. I would describe Shopify as a commerce operating system that allows businesses of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 50, to create, deploy, and support their commerce activities, whether that's online, mobile with mobile shopping, social with social shopping, or offline with their bricks and mortar retail locations uh, using our point of sale solution. So in the world of e-commerce and online shopping, everyone gets measured against Amazon. I'm sure you've read a million stories where people said, well, Shopify is kind of the anti-Amazon. I don't really consider us the anti-Amazon. I think that's (laughs) a interesting media narrative. We're here to support merchants. We want merchants to be front and center. You have to give them access to the data. They own the customer records. They own the interactions with their their own customers. Instead of having to come through us as a middleman who is promoting ourselves. Um, and I think that's a distinct difference is one is in the support of merchants. One is using merchants um, for your own devices. And I think there's there's a, you know, these two things are diametrically opposed. It's a worldview difference. This has been a remarkable year for Shopify. It's been a game-changing year for the entire world in a lot of ways. So you've seen this explosive growth. What has the year meant in terms of, you know, ramping up the capability of your platform? You know, we like to say that COVID was a time machine that brought 2030 to 2020. 
it rapidly accelerated a lot of things that were already happening. So we were already digitizing as society, as economies, as retailers were already going online. All the plans we had before March of 2020 got thrown out. They got canceled because we just fundamentally knew we were going to be in a different world, that we were going to have to do things that we didn't anticipate before. We've seen a huge shift to how local retail works. So local retail is having a resurgence, a resurgence. Buy online, pick up in store buy online with local delivery. These things happened overnight. Suddenly we were at home, suddenly we were looking for those things. We shipped a lot of functionality like buy online, pick up in store, local delivery apps, almost overnight. We just rapidly accelerated our own roadmap and focused the company and said, what can we deliver now that's gonna change the game for our customers? When you're marketing to merchants, are you finding that you know it's easier for them to grasp all of the capabilities that you're offering them? Has that become exponentially easier in the last year or two years as people are getting more comfortable or maybe recognizing the urgency of embracing these capabilities? Online is now the normal shopping model, right? It is, it, it, it's the new baseline. And so what we have been doing since our inception, but also uh, accelerated with COVID was trying to educate folks on how simple it could be. The fact that you could build an online store in an hour or two and be selling global in the same day. And it took no technical capabilities. You didn't have to code. This is drag and drop. The average person can do it. But the same thing applies if you're a big retailer. Who are some of the retailers on the Shopify platform and how do they use your platform in different ways? We see now big CPGs, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, Mondelez, using direct-to-consumer. So this I'm going to take these traditional brands that you were going to get in the, the grocery stores and we're going to go direct to consumer. You know, Allbirds or Steve Madden or the Kardashians or you know, whoever you want to use in this model of big direct consumer digital first brands um, are all using us to tell stories and, and run limited edition drops. And Wait, the Kardashians are using Shopify? Yeah. all the. I think we buried the lead. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, all the Kardashian stores are on Shopify from Kylie's, uh, which is now owned by Cody Cosmetics, but her, her big lip kit empire to Kim's um, fragrance line uh, to Rob's sock brand is all on uh, the platform. And it just shows you the extent and capabilities that you can provide is you can manage the biggest celebrities in the world. You can manage a startup. You can manage a big traditional bricks and mortar retailer like Steve Madden. So you've seen this, uh, you know, explosive growth in in volume on your platform. Also, this uh, incredible interest from investors and the growth in the market value of the company that's based on expectations for growth going into 2021 and beyond. What does the growth path look like for you? What are you focusing on developing and investing in? We have over a million customers, but when you think about that in the aggregate, it's a drop in, in a vast ocean of potential. Our job is to, you know, keep our heads down, kind of ignore a lot of the market hype because while it's exciting, it doesn't mean that much to us. It's like our job is to help our merchants every day. And if we keep just chipping away at these items that allow entrepreneurs to thrive and grow and scale on a global level, you know, I, I think our growth opportunities um, are huge for a very long time. Uh, and I think that's rare and exciting. Michal, the market 
and investors are certainly anticipating that Shopify is going to keep growing. Coming into 2020, Shopify's market value was a little below $50 billion. Most recently, when we were recording this the other day, it was around $130 billion. Shopify's stock has actually outperformed Amazon's stock so far in 2020. So it's really been an incredible bet by the market that Shopify is going to keep producing because that you know they've only started to be profitable in the last couple of quarters, but their revenue growth has been really, really strong. It was up close to 100% in the most recent quarter, and uh, they have a lot to live up to. Brian, it's one thing for people to buy whatever they want online. That's a whole process, as we've heard so far in this episode. But the delivery part, the shipping, is another huge topic. People want what they want when they want it. Well, I think we're all spoiled, and we're getting more and more spoiled. I mean, first there was next-day shipping. Uh, Now you have same-day shipping or two-hour shipping. Where does it end, Michal? I think it ends with 15-minute delivery by drone, Brian. Creepy. But, you know, not everybody can do that. And Amazon has set such a high bar. Um, But like we said earlier, there are other companies out there. So our next guest is a guy named Ben Jones. He's CEO of a company called Ohi, O-H-I. And it's a technology company that wants to help smaller brands be able to deliver as fast as Amazon and Target and Walmart are delivering their products or even faster. Is such a thing even possible? I mean... Seriously, how can small companies match up to the massive infrastructure that Amazon has? Yeah, so it's really all about creating these little warehouses within cities wherever there's space for one. They're also called micro warehouses or nano warehouses. And I talked to Ben to find out how he came up with the idea for all this. It was actually a very personal experience for me where I had a really bad back injury that paralyzed me for a period of time. And during the recovery process from that, and I'm, I'm fully recovered now and fine, but I, um, I couldn't go to the store, I couldn't carry anything, and I ended up entirely reliant on e-commerce. I could order from Amazon and get pretty much everything next day. But for every other DTC brand, the ones I actually wanted to buy from, the ones I actually wanted to associate myself with, their delivery times were three to five days. And when I was so reliant on e-commerce, it just felt like an eternity. And I think what's interesting with COVID is everyone else has been put in that same position. Tell us a little bit about the problem that you're trying to solve. What does Ohi actually do? Ohi is an instant commerce platform. That's really what we're building. And so our core belief is that in the next 18 months, two years time, um, all consumers are going to demand that they can get everything they want within a matter of hours. And we see now, you know, particularly this year with COVID and the, the paradigm shift really accelerating in the US with the big players, Amazons, Walmarts, um, uh, targets of the world, really investing heavily in moving from two-day delivery as standard to next day to same day and two hours. But for, for everybody else, it's almost impossible to compete in that new world. That's really the, the problem that, that Ohio is solving. We're really building that platform to enable every other uh, direct-to-consumer e-commerce company to compete in that instant commerce world. So before you get into how you're actually building out that infrastructure, who exactly are you talking about? Like, are we talking mom and pop shops? Are we talking larger retailers? Um, generally, the types of brands we work with are, are really 
anything you'd buy in a CVS. And that's really because those are the products that right now consumers really do demand quickly. So talk a bit about how you're actually setting up this infrastructure, uh, because I also wanted to ask, you know, why can't these smaller players do this on their own? I'm guessing the infrastructure piece will explain that as well. When your inventory is being held in in Memphis or Kentucky or you know, it places out in the middle of the country, you, you physically cannot do to add delivery to big big cities like New York and, and LA. And so Ojai's uh, innovation on the space side is um, that we, are, we understood that there's actually all this unused space within cities. You know, we, we're taking retail locations, uh, commercial spaces like office buildings, and turning them into what we call <clears throat> micro-fulfillment centers. Explain a little bit more. You don't actually own any of these like nano warehouses. Mm-hmm. Do you rent them or how, how does the model work exactly? Yeah, so so we provide the the technology infrastructure for third-party operators. We provide them with the data infrastructure to help them understand where they should position a warehouse to get you know get as close to customers as possible, um, as well as then the technology to help them run that space. And on on the brand side, we provide the the data knowledge and and understanding for them to understand what inventory to to send to these locations and how to you know optimize inventory to to make sure that it's turning through the space as quickly as possible. And and when you say micro, I mean how small are some of these warehouses? The smallest one that we have is 800 square foot, which is tiny. You know, it's just it's just a small room almost. Um, and the largest is uh, seven and a half thousand square foot, um, which is our one in New York. But relative to the traditional warehousing network, where you know locations will be tens of thousands of square feet or hundreds of thousands of square feet, these are very small spaces. Are are these warehouses? I mean, how much technology is involved in the actual? warehouse and what role do you, does your company play there you know i think when we think of like an amazon warehouse obviously there's so much robotics involved so much is automated what does an ohi powered warehouse mini warehouse look like on ohi's model we've really taken the view that for us and for the brands that we work with you don't need a huge amount of automation um, and so our locations we've really focused on simplicity and and scalability and so um, under those highly automated models, the setup time as a brand can can be many months. You know, it can really take you know three to six months. Um, under Ohi's model, we can spin up a new location really within thirty days because all of the technology for us is contained within an iPad or a phone. So I know this is obvious, but. Amazon is really the standard that everybody is measured against. You know, traditional brick and mortar companies trying to get digital and all of these other digital startups that are trying to compete with Amazon online. Yeah, I mean, what Amazon has built, obviously, is is really extraordinary. The customer base, the infrastructure, you know, just the capability they have. And everybody is trying to play catch up with them. But, you know, if you look, step back from it and look at the retail market as a whole, Still less than uh, 20% of retail sales are digital. I mean, and the world is moving towards digital and the integration of digital and online sales into the experience. And so there's a lot of uh, opportunity left for other players. And and it's it's natural that the brick and mortar companies are starting to catch up. And it's natural that there's going to be, you know, 
more emerging challengers and upstarts online that uh, will have an opportunity because people want alternatives. And Amazon, as amazing as it is, and it will almost certainly still do really well, uh, may not be the right platform for every store or for every shopper. So speaking of alternatives, I don't know if you got my holiday list, but uh, what'd you get me for Christmas, Brian? It's very challenging. I mean, what do you get the podcast host who has everything? I know what I'm getting you. Really? Are you going to tell me? I'm getting you that Lego Baby Yoda set. I haven't seen it. Is it at least a thousand pieces? Yeah. And it's also like a lot of money. So I don't know. Maybe we could go (laughs) 50-50. All right. That is it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Wyatt Orm and Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.